Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. The seal judgments here, Revelation chapter number 6. The opening verses of Revelation 6 detail the appearance of four horses. Four horses. Each horse has a rider that is placed upon it. The first horse and rider commence the seal judgments. The opening of each seal represents a specific divine, divine judgment that will be poured out on earth. And the reason we call it divine is each of these riders is set forth after a divine event occurs. And what is it? It's the Lord opening a seal. That's why it's a misunderstanding to think that uh, really these are just satanic or humanistic events that occurs. There's a great divine allowance that is given. Why? The Lord's opening each seal, and with the first four seals, each one of them produces a specific colored horse with a rider that is therein placed upon. It would see that, seem that these seal judgments take place over the course of the tribulational period. Um, the first five taking place during the first half, or 42 months of the tribulation, and 42 months correlates to three and a half years. The last two taking place in the second half of the tribulation. As the tribulational period passes, passes, the frequency and intensity of the judgments will increase as well. So the reality, at least from our estimation, is that you have uh, five seal judgments that will occur in the first three and a half years. In the last three and a half years, you'll have the sixth seal judgment and the seventh seal judgment opens up. A good way to look at this is like a telescope. Now, I'm not talking about your modern telescopes, but you ever, uh, you ever had these telescopic poles where you pull one out and then there's another and another one and make it longer? That's the way you kind of look at the seventh seal. The seventh seal is just peace and it unleashes the next series of seven judgments, and then the next seven series as well. And so really the final seal judgment, that seventh seal, will not really occur till towards the end of the actual tribulation. But whereas for our consideration you have approximately five in the first three and a half years, in the last three and a half years, if you will cumulatively add with me, you have the balance of the two seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bile judgments. So in the last three and a half years, you have a totality of like 16 judgments. Whereas in the first three and a half, you only have five. That's what I mean by increasing in frequency and intensity as the tribulation moves forward. Though different, they bear, these four riders bear uh, a unique resemblance to God's four horsemen in the book of Zechariah in the first chapter. The end time horsemen have been subject of much debate. Let me recycle that uh, back to Zechariah. They bear resemblance, but they are not the same. That's all I'll say for it now, but they are not the same. The end time horsemen have been the subject of much debate, yet as Christ loses each of these four seals, the wrath of God is going forth. Now, we have visited this before, but hold your place here quickly and turn over to Matthew 24. Don't lose your place here in Revelation chapter 6. There seems to be 
Again, we revisit Matthew 24. There seems to be a unique overlayment that is given. So the disciples have come unto Christ and they have said, Tell us, tell us what shall be, uh, when shall these things be, thy coming? When shall uh, be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? And this starts the Olivet Discourse. Um, and you can, uh, if you want to hear, we preached a, a brief overview of this some time ago, and I believe that's online. You can look at under the eschatology tab. But from verse 545 five on, down through the balance of the chapter of some length, some 50-some verses, the Lord is speaking about eschatological matters. Now I want to ask you a question. Did the disciples know anything about the rapture? No. So that's why the Lord does not address the rapture in Matthew 24. They know anything about it. It wasn't in his divine estimation time to reveal it. It wouldn't be revealed until really the church epistles and primarily through Paul. And so he's addressing them and they have a Hebrew understanding of what's going to precede the coming of the Lord Jesus. Think not the rapture, but think Revelation chapter 20, right? Think when he descends with his saints. Think at the conclusion of that time. Think Ezekiel chapter 37. What's going to precede thy coming to establish thy kingdom? What did they look for, these Hebrews? They were waiting for the Messiah to come. What was the mark? Well, that Messiah is going to come and, oh boy, he's going to establish his kingdom. That's why he's going to throw off the yokes of the Roman government and we're going to be a people and they had not been a people in several hundred years. That's how you get Herod the Idumean. He was the last vestige of the last kingdom. Of, uh, of the Jews, the, uh, well, it lost me. What was that kingdom there? The Hasmonean dynasty, yes. Herod came out through that Hasmonean dynasty, but he wasn't a Jew. And so all of these disciples predicated, they're looking for the return and the establishment of a Jewish kingdom. A kingdom that Jesus Christ would rule on. That's why they're saying, tell us when that's going to happen. And the Lord gives them a great Great message on that. Notice, if you will, we highlighted this last week, and I'm going to move quickly, but you have it here in your notes as well. There's a great correlation between the statements made in the Olivet Discord and these seven seal judgments. And I've given you the reference. I'm going to fill in these five, four or five blanks here. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 and 5, he says, Let no man deceive thee in the end of verse number 4. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. Uh, that correlates quite well with the first writer. There is a promise of false peace. That's what Christ is. He's the anointed one. He was to bring peace. Healing was in his wings. The government should be upon his shoulder, Isaiah chapter 9. There's a false peace that is present. In verses number 6 and 7, and you have the wars and rumors of wars. Uh, you have nations rising up against nations and kingdom against kingdom. As we'll look in a moment about the second writer of the apocalyptic courses, you'll see there that there is war. These verses here, verses 6 and 7, correlate quite interestingly with the book of Revelation in dealing, chapter 6, and dealing with the second seal, which is the promise of war. The third seal, uh, the third writer, if you will, you'll see reference in the latter part of verse number 7. He talks about there shall be famine and pestilence famine and pestilence. Uh, the third writer that John reveals in Revelation chapter 6 is a promise of famine. And if I recall correctly, even reaching down towards disturbing the animal kingdom. We'll look at that in a moment. 
And Matthew 24 and verse 7, Matthew 24 and verse 7, there is the matter of earthquakes. And of course that is the evidence of the fourth seal that is given. And verse number 9 talks about uh, he shall deliver you up, then, then, notice then, there's an appointed time that follows, then, only after these four things have happened, then shall you be delivered up to be afflicted and shall kill you and ye shall be hated of all the nations for my name's sake. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, the verbiage there is quite, quite, quite a corollary to Revelation chapter 6 where the fifth seal talks about the martyr of saints of the tribulational era. Uh, Matthew 24 and verse 29. In fact, if you turn the page, circle verse number 15. It's my consideration that the Lord, when He references Matthew 24, 15, is referencing the middle of the tribulational period. Um, not referenced yet in the time of the book of Revelation. But then when you get down to verse number 29, you've got the sun being darkened. You, you've, you've got uh, darkness and destruction. I left out seal number five was divine judgment. Seal number six is, is darkness and divine destruction, again, referenced immediately. And then you'll remember for the seventh seal, as I said, it's a telescopic look. The seventh seal is quietness, but it opens up the other 14 judgments that will follow. And then in reference the, to that frequency and intensity in verse 37, the Lord talks about uh, so shall the coming as it was in the day of Noah, there was a giving of marriage, shall I find faith? And goes down that they were eating and drinking until the day that Noah entered the ark. And so there's going to be a greater judgment that will follow them. Uh, the type there is Noah. As he enters into the ark, greater judgment would come. And such will be all of these things preceding the return of the Lord to establish the millennial kingdom at the end of the tribulation. So let's look at these first four seals this morning. I'm not going to deal with it in great detail. You have there the notes, uh, but I think it's important for us to review them. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1, when I, and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, I heard as it was the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon it had a bow and a crown, and was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So the first seal is a white horse <clears throat> and a rider with a bow and crown. A bow and crown. I should say that some folks have identified this rider as the Antichrist. Um, however, when you look at riders on the second, third, and fourth judgment, they have riders as well and no one has a personification for them. They're not personalized in any sense like this. Uh, therefore, for continuity's sake, uh, I think it would be best to view the rider of the first horse not as a person, but as a thing, an entity. And that's why I would refer to the rider on the white horse not necessarily as the Antichrist, but rather as a false Christ or a false peace. Um, the fact is, that's what the son of perdition will be promising. Peace, peace, peace. Um, some would speculate that this is not the Antichrist, but it's an influential individual that will predate the Antichrist by a small portion of time. In any case, what I'm submitting to you is uh, this writer is one that would promise false peace. Uh, he is armed with an arrowless, arrowless bow. And of course, if you've got an arrowless bow, you don't have much. 
It's the idea of securing this false peace, not, not through war, but by a version of war. And you continue, and I would speak of another thing too, the crown. There's several crowns in the Bible, but in the New Testament particularly, there are two Greek words that are important for a distinguishing point. One is Stephanus, and one is diadema. Uh, and both of them are moved as crowns. We would talk of them, but they are vastly different. The Stephanus crown is one that is awarded to you because of some deed that you did. You might think of during the Olympic races, at the conclusion of the race, the champion was given a little wreath with flowers or whatever upon it, you know. That would be the idea of a Stephanus crown. It's also referred to as a victor's crown. It's one that did something noteworthy, but it does not reference the same thing as having a throne. Anytime in the New Testament it talks about the throne crown or a crown for a throne-sitting individual, a king, it's the idea of diadema. And it's important to make that distinguishing. So this first writer, he brings this bow, this arrowless bow and crown with him, and he represents a false peace that will be prevalent. And I would submit to you that the prevalence comes with the signing of the covenant, particularly with the nation of Israel, and the reference there is Daniel 9, 27. The thing that will start, a thing that has to occur for the tribulation to start is there has to be the signing, the, um, uh, the, the, the nation, the people of Israel, signing a covenant with that prince that shall come that will guarantee them some time, time frame of, of peace and relative safety and will allow them to have the opportunity to finish building, to rebuild whatever might be an established some type of Judaistic type religion in the land. Those things have to occur. And in Daniel chapter 9, that is the start of the 70th week. That is the start of that final week of judgment. And so uh, this writer here with his bow and crown, well, mel well may be the Antichrist, but I believe the false peace is more of an accurate description of what is occurring at that particular time. And so this is launched off these seven years and subsequently these seven seals. Notice, if you will, in verse number three and following. He says, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. It was red. And power was given to him that sat on the throne to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. Notice, if you will, seal two. Seal one's the white rider. Seal two is the red horse, rather, I should say the white horse was seal one. Seal two, the red horse and a rider with a great sword. This rider has the power to take what the first rider seemed to give, that is peace. With this divinely authorized sword, this rider instigates hostilities. You'll remember over Matthew 24, wars and rumors of wars. The killing of humanity will be at an unprecedented level. It should be further noted that this writer was given this power. This is not singularly the wrath of humanity, nor simply the wrath of Satan. It rather is the wrath of an almighty God being poured out. This could be, this could be a likely place for the Gog and Magog attack of Israel that's referenced in Ezekiel chapter 38. And I want you to note how I am not definitive there. 
Um, this battle is fought when Israel thinks she dwells in safety. And that last phrase there you'll find from, I think it's Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 8, that the battle of Gog and Magog will not fight, will be happening until the people that they dwell in the land with safety. And so I think it could be that the Gog and Magog prophecies of Ezekiel, and that's going to be a horrendous, hellacious battle that will be fought. Um, but it, it really is divinely ended. And uh, some would hold that that might be the tribulational battle of the Armageddon, but I could note at least seven distinctions between the two. Uh, wrong people are fighting, wrong places being fought. Another one, the, the timing is off. Um, how the destruction occurs is different. And there's a, there's a number of differences between them. Um, but the scripture does say it would take almost seven years, more than seven years, as they, seven months to bury all the dead from Gog, which is from Magog, seven months to bury the dead, seven years to eradicate, they'll burn all that equipment. And I think that it has to happen in the first part of the tribulation. It does not seem to correlate with Armageddon. The third seal, if you will. The third seal, verses five and following. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard in the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, lo, a black horse. And he that sat upon him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. See, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. A note there, here is the third seal. There's a black horse and a rider with a pair of balances, a pair of balances. The third introduces us, this third seal introduces us to a black horse. It seems often to be uh, resemblant of famine. I have there Lamentations chapter 5. He talks about the visage being black and all. The first, first there was war. And now in this third seal, the food supply has been destroyed. And its prices have been massively inflated. The word measure here is a dry capacity of a liter, quart liter, but there in that regard. Uh, and that was used in biblical times uh, as a measurement for the daily necessity of an individual. A penny is a Greek word denarius, and it's not your copper penny that you, well, I don't know if anybody even carries pennies anymore. Do we do that? But it's not the copper penny that you used to have uh, that jingles around in your pocket, but this is a daily wage. This is the average daily wage. And the same is true in the New Testament when he talks about uh, an individual laboring for a penny. They weren't laboring for the smallest amount of U.S. currency or an insignificant amount of currency globally. Rather, that penny was a denarius. It was a measure of silver that represented roughly what one day's labor would be. Now, I, I don't know, minimum wage, what is that, like $75 an hour an hour or something? No, I'm sure. But you, you take what an average wage is, and I know there's a lot of variance that can be attributed in that, but let's assume that you made $10 an hour and you worked eight hours. Let's assume that you made somewhere around $80 to $100 a day. I don't think that that's uh, on the high side. That would be the idea of what the value of a denarius or penny is. So this is important because when you understand what the measure and the penny is, what he's referencing here is you'll be able to buy the provision that you by yourself need. One measure of wheat will cost you. You'll have to work all day just to meet one person's need. Now, I suppose for families, 
and folks that are trying to do even more, there'll be another opportunity. And the scripture mentions this. It uses not only the grain wheat, but also that of barley. Barley primarily is considered uh, in many regards to have less nutritional value than wheat. Uh, often was used for livestock and it would be a va value at the same way, but you get three measures. So you could feed three different people, but for the same cost. Uh, what's being referenced here is you have a terrible representation of famine that will occur in this opening of the third seal. It's interesting also to note in verse number six, see thou hurt not the oil and wine. Oil and wine were used for food preparation. They're also used for medicinal purposes. Um, and they'll be available and be greatly protected. In fact, you can look over in Matthew or rather Luke chapter 21, a reference there again of the oil and the wine and its necessity, if you will. Uh, but the world as a whole will continue to enjoy the wine and oil for much of the tribulation. In fact, all the way in Revelation chapter 18, they'll weep because Babylon, uh, the reference of that great ecumenical type place, will have fallen and with it her provision and protection of wine and oil. Notice the fourth seal, if you will. In verses 7 and following, open the fourth seal, and I heard the voice of the fourth beast saying, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that set upon him was Death, and hell followed after him, or followed with him. The power was given unto them over a fourth a part of the earth to kill with sword and hunger, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beast of the earth. The seal four, the fourth seal, has a pale horse and a rider. Death and hell followed. This is the fourth seal, is, is an ashen uh, in color. It portrays the deathly characteristics of decomposition. Death is an inevitable result of war and famine. The world's population just the other week passed 8 billion people. Now, if you could imagine for a moment, if the fourth seal, that rider was to be let loose, it would mean a result of the death of 2 billion lives by sword, by hunger, by famine. There's an interesting phrase given in verse number 8. He kills with sword and with hunger and with death. And notice the last prepositional phrase, and with the beast of the earth. Well, you think of the actions of humanity as it relates to war. You think of the famine that has existed. You think of the pestilence that now has come and even the wildlife will change their temperament towards humanity. Years ago I was reading a book about um, uh, lions in Africa and they talked about where most of the lion attacks are. And they said one thing that they had noticed is that when there was um, a great ecosystem, plenty of water, plenty of food to be preyed upon, lions attacking humans was extremely rare. But if that ecosystem is ever overturned and you've got a dearth, so now there's not enough water. And when there's not enough water, there's not enough prey. And when there's not enough prey, that animal, that lion will attack anything it needs to live. And I reference verse number eight with the beast of the earth. These first four riders let loose, their ultimate end will affect every living thing on the face of the earth. Not just one demographic, it will affect all demographics. It will affect people of all nations and it will even have a great um, impact 
on the destruction of a societal system and the wildlife that exists as well. The scripture speaks of the tribulation that the Lord would bring upon those that trouble His people. These first four seal judgments will commence in the first half of the tribulational period. We conclude with 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Lord referencing some of this tribulation that is to come, saying, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us, and the Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, from flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all of them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. So the first part of the seal judgment, four riders, one on a white horse, a red horse, a black horse, and a pale, pale horse, the judgments of God being let loose and devastation that is to occur afterwards. Lord willing, next week we'll pick up in verse number 9, that fifth seal that opens that fifth seal. Father. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.